Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation between Pastor Jay and Pastor Ravi talking about the sermon from October 18th, 2020. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay, and joining me is Ravi. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. Yes, this is episode number politics is that, is that a number i don't know it is today okay I, I i've lost count and then we just said oh this was the big sermon on politics but before we get to that robbie there's something that i have to address oh good well, tell jay what do you need to address i've been holding this back for a little bit but we had a a verifiable legitimate david goliath moment this week. Oh. <laughs> I, so if people don't realize, here's the thing. Um, here's what drives me crazy about Robbie Helene. So Robert Otis Helene is good at everything. He is good at everything. He's the guy that says, oh, I've maybe picked up a drumstick before. And then all of a sudden he's like, do, 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 do. not like that. See, I can't even drum with my voice as well as you can drum with sticks he's the guy that says i dabble on the keyboard and then it's like and he's that guy and so he he's he just does all the things well and i'm sure people listening right now robbie have somebody in their life like that um and how it just it's it's it just drives you crazy and i always (laughs) felt like you're saying i drive you crazy jay just because of this because you're good at everything. And and I'm not, <laughs> decidedly not. You know, and so you're like, you're the true renaissance man. And, you know, like if anybody wants to talk to you about electrical wiring, you can do that, about art or philosophy. or And then it turns out, um, so if people don't know, this all, this this is evidently such an issue for me that the one thing I always had over Robbie was sports because I was, I was an athlete, well, we could call it that. I was, I did, I tried athletic endeavors and I was interested okay. in athletic things. Which I didn't even do that. Really. Right. You didn't even do that. And so Robbie would have been the kid in a PE class in the basketball unit who still has got his, his, you know, dress socks pulled up and, you know, wearing the um, Chuck Taylors probably, you know, and not dressed at all for athletic um, endeavors. Is it, am I right? Am I far off on that, Robbie? I wasn't wearing dress socks, but. I wasn't like colored socks. I was was doodling a picture on the back of my hand or something. Right. You were not attacking PE with an intensity. No, 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 no. So, so all this like got to a place where I was, I, we actually had a conversation one day where I said, um, where I was expressing all this and said, well, at least I have sports. And then like it was that night or maybe the next night where I literally had a dream I had a dream that that conversation was continuing. And and then I happened that in my dream, I had the conversation that I had in real life. And then while I was sitting at home watching ESPN, they replayed a game from back in the 90s. This is in my dream. And in my dream, it was like Kentucky winning the national championship on a shot by Robbie Helene. <laughs> And I just watched, I was watching and going, what? 
he didn't even he's never even mentioned that and so i i was super angry so that's it's so like it's inside of me and so i'm, I'm haunting you in you're your haunting dreams. You in my dreams and so that has continued that we my son wanted to put together a fantasy football league do you know where i'm going with this robbie i as soon as, as, you, soon as you said, said david okay, and you goliath okay. i knew where you were going with so this. my son puts together a fantasy football league we try to fill it he wants to know if Robbie wants to be in it. Like, well, Robbie, well, no, Robbie's the music and art guy. Like, he probably, oh, yeah, no, sure, I'll give it a whirl. <laughs> he goes in there, drafts what I'm like. I'm like, oh, Robbie, that's not that's not a good move. <laughs> and lo and behold, uh, your team, which is called the uh, Mob of Angry Monkeys. That's correct. Um, was not only undefeated, <laughs> but destroying everyone. <laughs> wreaking havoc it was literally a mob of angry monkeys it just was. wreaking havoc through our league making children in the league cry <laughs> and then and then we were paired up this week we were matched up this week we were and ladies and gentlemen the people won a victory this week <laughs> My team. Am I the, are the monkeys the oppressive regime? They're the oppressive right? regime, good at everything. I won a victory for all of the less talented people in the world. If you have ever been overshadowed by someone who says, oh, what's this thing? And then does it better than you have ever dreamed of doing it. You're the guy that picks up a fishing pole and just hauls in a huge fish, a huge Great catch. white shark. Yeah. And, and you're like, is this good? That's the part that really irritates me. Is you're like, oh, like this? Grabs a golf club. What's this? Which end do I hold? Okay, boom. Drives it 300 yards straight down the fairway. Was that good? Did I do it right? Did I do the thing right? You're that guy. And I beat you this week. You did. I beat you, you Robbie. Narrowly, too. I, it was it was touch and go for a little bit there. I, but I wasn't supposed to. The projections, of course, no. even the computer was saying, obviously, Robbie Helene is going to win. They didn't even know about your stats or the players. They just knew the name on the other. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. And and I beat you. You did. Fair I, and square. Fair and square. What would you imply that I would cheat? I, I, yes, it, it, it grieved me possibly more than most that – this was the weekend that that Green Bay decided to come off the rails because I was counting on both Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams to to deliver on my behalf, you know, for me, really. They're doing it for me. They really are. Um, but they really, they, they let me down. So I'm going to have to have words with them later. But yes, their their decimation this weekend led to my decimation at your hands. But honestly... I felt good that it was you, Jay. If I had to lose to somebody, I'm glad it was you because you haven't been having the best season so far. What? I'm in second place. <laughs> what is, why would you? Well. Okay. <laughs> that is very unlike you. I it just, is. Do you, because I never, I don't, I don't ever get to trash talk because I don't ever yeah. have a good reason to. But oh, see, that's the opposite of what I'm saying. That no. you always do, but you just don't. I, I received scores of texts thanking me. <laughs> For dethroning. Yeah, from all over the country, Robbie. Like California, you, uh, Nevada, Texas, <laughs> any place where you have t- where your your jack of all trades, well, actually master of all trades, has has hit. People thanked me for standing up and taking you down. Well, it had to happen eventually. It did. Okay. I'm glad it was at your hands. Good game. It was, wasn't it? 
It, it truly, truly was. The victory for the ages for all the, all the little people. <laughs> all right. We should move on to important things. That's a good that, idea. I mean, that was pretty important. That's but a good this idea. Is, all right. So this uh, sermon this week, uh, I got some feedback from. Did you? Mm-hmm. Huh. I thought it was fairly innocuous. Hmm. Did you? There's <laughs> two two in a row. Huh. All right. I don't I don't feel like that's I don't always feel like I'm a good judge of those truth. things. Okay. No, so you got some feedback. That's good. Okay, yeah. So here's the deal. I have said before that I don't like to bring politics into the pulpit and I won't. And I still hold to that, but but it's important that we define what we mean by those things. So I, I will never endorse a candidate or, or tell people how they should vote on different things. But more and more, because of the condition of our country and because of how divisive politics have become, I feel an incredible responsibility that we need to speak into that. Mm. We need to help Christians think about how, how should I approach these things? How should I think about politics and right. these issues? Because otherwise, we're just leaving them to the voices that are out there in the world, which we would never do that on any other topic, right? That's right. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Well, we have been guilty in in past days. There have been – it feels like every generation, every culture, um, every every kind of era of the church has these issues that – that we don't, that we, we seem scared to talk about. We seem mm. scared to deal with. That's a good point. And I think this is ours in this era. And when I look back on past eras and I think, what, what do I wish pastors would have said during the civil rights movement or during, um, you know, during the civil war or, you know, during World War II, during when we understood that the Holocaust was going on or any of these other things I've, I've wondered, well, what, what do I wish they would have said? And then I put myself in that situation and say, okay, this is the thing that's going on today. So we have to make sure that we, that we aren't silent in these areas that are clearly divisive in our country. I think that's really important to remember because we can't trust the news media to help us understand how Christ would want us to consider these things. We can't trust the internet, though, I'm pretty sure I heard once that everything that you read on there is true. I don't, Most I don't everything. think that's accurate. Um, but so, if we're, if you're not hearing how how to see these things through the lens of Christ in the church, where would we expect our our people to hear that? Right, and and what I didn't want to. It's so tempting then in these situations to just be reactionary and to and to feed off of. And just try to refute some of the things that are out there. And I, I thought, you know, for this podcast, I thought it might be helpful for our people and for the six people who are listening um, that how do we like what are some proactive things that we can proactive handles maybe we can get? Because I got a lot of feedback. Like I said, I get I, I got feedback on this message, but most of the feedback was either encouraging, which was encouraging to me or hmm. um or not discouraging, but just like asking for more help. How, how, okay. So I, I get that this is all kind of jumbled and kind of we've deconstructed maybe some of the political 
ideology and the platforms and the idea that there's a Christian party and a non-Christian party. Like maybe we've deconstructed that and helped you deconstruct that. But then how do you build that back up? Right. So I thought it would be good for us to just touch on uh, three things, three handles that you know maybe can be tangible enough and helpful um, as you kind of navigate politics, not just this election, but just as we move forward and try to come through this and try to see not only our church um, unified, uh, but also our country and to help our country heal and, and have unity. Hmm. So the first thing, and, and Robbie, I'm hoping that you can address this. So I, really, it's a question that I would be posing to you. But one of the issues that I see is that and I touched on this in the sermon where I said that we need to let Jesus determine our talking points. Yeah. And it was just kind of a quick point, but but really that's a big deal to me that I, I see often the American church being like a puppet for a party. And I we're not supposed to be that. We aren't we aren't to look to our political leaders to tell us what are the things that we should most care about. And one of the ways that I see this happening is that they will they will present secondary issues as of extreme importance. Mm. And I just think I think we need to learn to prioritize. We need like there are a lot of things that we can care about and a lot of things that matter. But I guess the question I would ask you, Robbie, is does it matter what order we put those things in? I mean, I think Jesus would argue, yes, absolutely it does. And and I might even I might even push your statement a little bit farther to say it's not being communicated to us that something is of extreme importance. There's some issues that are being communicated that they are of ultimate importance. Mm-hmm. They're the most important thing and and should be what dictates our decision. And we need to be able to take a step back and say, is does this actually align with what Jesus has said are the most important things? Because what we what we see throughout the Gospels over and over again is a, a group of people who believe wholeheartedly and have committed their lives to following God. And what Jesus is sometimes, most of the time gently, sometimes a little firmly trying to help them understand is you, you're not following God. You, you're following your own rules, your own traditions. And, and, and that's something that we need to be cautious of, that we wouldn't find ourselves actually grieving Jesus while we believe that we are serving him. And, and as you were talking, I thought that was such an important point. I love the concise way that you said that of, of our talking points should come from Jesus. Um, because Jesus and the New Testament clearly determine our talking points and what should be ultimate to us. Um, what I thought of as you were saying that is, is Jesus woe to the Pharisees uh, in, in Matthew chapter 23, and he goes down this list of, you think you're doing this, but this is what you're actually doing. You think you're doing this, but this is what you're actually doing. And one of them that sticks out is uh, in verse 23 of chapter 23, he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, uh, which which means you're presenting yourself as something that you are not. Uh, For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And then he goes on and says, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. So clearly Jesus believes that it's important to have these things in the correct order and lays out like not, hey, at least you're doing this thing that's important. He, he, he basically communicates 
because this is all you're doing, it all grieves me. So start with the things that I have declared are most important and also do these other things. So he doesn't say like, don't do this thing that you're, that you care about isn't important. He's saying, if you were, if you were focused on that at the expense of what I believe is important, which is seeking justice, uh, seeking mercy, acting those things out, walking faithfully in what he has commanded us to, then that is, then those other things fall into place. And those other things find their eternal significance in the fact that they're within the context of those greater things. And to your point, our talking points are not nebulous. They're not unclear. They're laid out in, in the New Testament, either from Jesus himself or from his apostles. And, and I would argue it's what Jesus says is the most important commandment, loving God with everything you have and everything that you are and loving others, loving your neighbor as yourself. And the, the, the idea of, of living for the sake of others is ubiquitous throughout the New Testament. It's inescapable. Every, essentially every book of the New Testament has some sort of statement about how we don't live for ourselves, but we live for the sake of others because that's what Jesus says is the greatest commandment, that we love God and that we love others uh, at the very least as much as we love ourselves, right? And then, right. and then doubles down on that and says, your neighbor also love your enemies, just like God loved us as his enemies. Let justice and mercy roll down like a river, and I would argue that applies both to the unborn as well as the born, right? That's, it's a whole life kind of application to that. Um, and, and we see warnings in both the old and new Testament where, where God says, don't even bring me your prayers and your songs and, and the things that you believe are acts of worship. If you are unwilling to actively pursue mercy and justice, the things that are, that are most important to me. And then finally, the very practical application of that, that we see, um, that's, that's not unfamiliar to most of us in James chapter one of caring for orphans and widows. And and the two things I want to point out in that are it's it's not caring about orphans and widows right. in theory, it's caring for them. I mean, James even goes so far as to say it's religion that's pure and undefiled before God. The Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. So to to go to meet them where they are and and care for them, meet their needs actively, not just theoretically say, I care about what happens to them, but actually care for them and meet their needs. And the other aspect that I want to point out is, um, yes, that does mean both literally orphans and widows, um, but also it's it's a, a general term that I would argue encompasses anyone who has no voice, anyone who is unable to care for themselves, which in this culture like would be summed up as orphans and widows who were people who at that time had no voice and were unable to care for themselves. Right. So where this practically kind of plays out is when I see people, um, for example, elevate fiscal responsibility of the government above what happens to children who are rejected at the border. Right. And, the argument then is, well, God cares that we are financially responsible. Yes. But he cares more that we care about the orphan. Right. It It's fairly explicit in Scripture which one of those issues 
he would define as the gnat and which one of those right. he would define as the camel. We should strain both of those, but it is a it is a net loss and ultimately grieves the heart of Christ if we celebrate our handling of the gnat while ignoring the camel. Yeah, and I think also in that is, and I love that you pointed that out, to visit them in their afflictions, that it is a it is in front of you. It is the, the good Samaritan. It is loving that neighbor that's right in front of you and meeting them where they are right now. Exactly. So therefore, when people say, kind of go, I, I've heard the, the roundabout thing like, well, but fiscal responsibility will mean a stronger economy, which will then result in, you know, better jobs for people and fewer orphans. And so therefore I'm loving the orphan. Well, yes, that is a way to do that. And why it actually would be, res- it's important for us to have fiscal responsibility. But again, that is less important than the immediate care for that child right now. So Unequivocally. Yeah. And so that's, I'm, I'm glad, I, I think you summed that up really well. I think, so that's, that's the big first point that I would want people to consider is don't be fooled by political parties who will try to create their own their priorities um, and try to convince you that those should be yours. You can care about something. You can say, yes, I agree that 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 is something that government should care about, but I care more about this. So another example would be if, if someone, if someone in say locally in the government, let's imagine that we had an issue where children were starving and someone ran on a platform of repairing roads repairing roads is important and you can make all the arguments you want. Well, with, with smooth roads, that means less maintenance on your vehicle. And that means you'll be able to get to work faster and you'll be able to do all these different things. But we would all look at that, I think, and say, hopefully in the church, we would say, yeah, but we have children starving to death right now. So we should, we should deal with that. And then, then we can do these other things. And I just, I I just keep seeing that situation over and over again, of, of people kind of buying into and getting swayed by these lesser issues and they are lesser issues. And Jesus clearly stated, um, you know, even when it came to the law, when he talks about the Sabbath, um, you know, there was the man with the withered hand who, uh, is asking to be healed. And they, they, the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. And, and Jesus brings the guy up and he says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around them all, he said to them, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. And it says that the Pharisees were filled with fury. Right. right. They were shocking, angry that Jesus healed this man's hand. That is an example of missing the point. If their argument was just, well, is the Sabbath important? In a theoretical conversation, Jesus Jesus never devalued the Sabbath. He actually is valuing it more, saying this is a holy day, and so I'm going to do good on this on this day. Yeah. Which I think is important to to bring up that in saying this thing is secondary, that is not to say it is unimportant. Right. It as as Jesus said in the woe, I, I I wish that you would have done this without neglecting the others. It's not to say that that thing is bad. 
do that as well. But if my focus is on the lesser thing at the expense of the greater, that's that's not a win. Yeah. All right. So that's that's one big that's thing. Good. What's point number two? Point so num- point number one, just to reiterate, yeah. point number one, prioritization and taking our talking points from Jesus. So what's number two? So point number two that I thought would be helpful is is kind of it's coming off of that as we determine what these issues are. It's acknowledging um, acknowledging that something is an issue doesn't mean agreeing with everybody's solution to that issue. Hmm. So that's good. We have this issue. Like, so here's a here's a simple example that we it should be very important to us as Christians that we care for the poor. And that we, that again, going to the vulnerable, the most vulnerable of our society, we should care for the poor. But how that plays out could take a lot of different paths. You could increase unemployment benefits. You could increase welfare programs. You could subsidize homeless shelters. You could, you could give um, tax credits to uh, families that make under a certain amount. You could put money into food banks. You could, I mean, there's so many different things that you could do. Um, and, and, and you could agree or disagree on that. But what I see happening right now is people are linking solutions to issues so much so that they, they, they can't be separated to consider what the actual issue is. Hmm. So one example I gave, and I, I'm not going to rehash this too much, but in the sermon, I talked about being pro-life. And yes, I, I think abortion is evil. I think that it is a cultural sin and a travesty that I do believe that someday down the road, we will look back on this era and and wonder that, that people 200 years from now will look back and see, wonder how could this culture and this society have, have, have put up with this. I do believe that. I, I'm vehemently opposed to it. But that doesn't mean I have to buy into the solution of say, the federal government or the overturning of Roe v. Wade. So I, I it, it doesn't, they don't have to link because um, what was one of the things we've talked about, Robbie, a lot that I think a lot of people don't understand that overturning of Roe v. Wade doesn't make abortion illegal. Correct. All it does is turn, so just follow this logic, it just turns the decision-making back to the states. It gives it back to the states, essentially. Correct. I'm oversimplifying it, but that's basically what it does. And when you realize most abortions happen in states that are very pro-choice in their electorate, you realize it's not going to change very much at all. It would arguably, in fact, become more available and the current restrictions would potentially be minimized because the fact that there's some federal control over that is actually keeping some states from going as far as they would prefer to with us with those laws right so what's what's what many experts who are on both sides of the issue have said is you know what's likely to happen is now the woman in kentucky is just going to drive to illinois and illinois to be more welcoming for that is going to maybe make their laws on that even more lax so that it's easier for that woman from Kentucky to get there and take care of that. And I, I, my apologies to both people from Kentucky and Illinois, if that offends you in any way, but I'm just using it as an example here in the Midwest, that that 
those are the kinds of things that can happen. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not for overturning Roe v. Wade. It doesn't mean that I would that I want to keep it at all. I that's not the issue. The point is, just like we prioritize issues, we also need to consider, you know, consider how we go about solving these things. So so that's that's one thing is saying like, okay, well, I want to care for those people right now. I want to care for those um, the unborn right now that are in front of me, that are in my community, that are in my county. And I don't have to buy into a political platform's view of like, well, this is how we this is how we need to solve this. Which I think speaks to your sermon point on Sunday about that historically morality has never been successfully dealt with from the top down. Right. Pa- passing new laws does not ever transform hearts. It does not ever address the source issue that's actually creating that cultural problem. Oftentimes it makes it worse. For example, prohibition, which did a bang-up job of lowering alcoholism, right? right? I mean... <laughs> Sarcasm. Yes, that was that was ironic. Ironic, sorry. Right there, I did not... It did not actually do that, just in case you weren't a history buff. Um but understanding that that it is, I, I want to I want to see an end of these things so badly that I want to do the things that will actually work to see the end of that thing, and right. and and simply passing a law or repealing a law, those sort of things do not transform hearts. We need to do the things that Jesus taught us and modeled us do transform hearts, so that this thing evaporates regardless of what the law says. Right. It's it's not as if there were zero abortions and then Roe v. Wade happened and all of a sudden people said, oh, this is an option. We should do this. There's other issues. There's cultural sin issues that get us to that point. And I think what's important, too, is that it's it has to be said that the, that the reverse is true. So just because I don't agree on how, um, for example, in this situation, how the Republican Party is trying to combat um, abortion or protect the unborn, that doesn't mean I then dismiss that issue. It doesn't mean I then say, well, abortion isn't a big deal then because I don't agree with that, you know, that this is how we have to go about it. It's still an issue. And I see this happening. So this is a sub point of this where people will disagree with, with how people are going about trying to solve an issue um, and so, therefore, they dismiss the issue in and of itself. Mm. And a very clear example of that that's happening right now, um, which grieves me in the American church, is the view towards what's of racial injustice, of systemic racism and in, in, in our country. And what I see are a lot of people um, rejecting the notion that there is racial injustice going on and they reject it on the grounds of not liking the protests that are going on. Right. And I just need to say that is that is nonsense. If imagine that in our office, Christoph, who works on our ministry team here, imagine that every day I came in and I bullied him. It's very subtly. Nobody sees it. Just every you know, I walk by him and I kind of, you know, push him up against the wall. I take his lunch and maybe throw it in the garbage, or maybe I eat it if it looks good to me. I um, actually, actually, what he but never, uh, never mind. He, uh, or I, I say demeaning things, and I just I just 
knock him down every day, every chance I get, just constantly demeaning him, constantly pushing his buttons, constantly just making his life miserable. And then imagine that one day he snaps and he shoves me up against the wall with his CrossFit muscles and just screams at me. And everybody else looks at that. Now, Robbie, I ask you, in that situation, is the conclusion you reach at that point, well, that was inappropriate of Christoph to do that. Therefore, I conclude that Jay has never done anything wrong. <laughs> that would be irrational. It'd be, obviously, the first question you're going to ask is, what happened? Right. What on earth provoked that extreme of a response? Right. And even if you say, yeah, okay, Christoph, you shouldn't have responded like that, that would not let me off the hook. That would not, that would not, uh, hopefully there would be a serious investigation then into what was I doing and why was I doing that? And am I doing that in other places? And, and the effects that that clearly had on Christoph. And I just, I, I just look at this and I have to say this, that if, if we're going to oppress a group of people intentionally, legally enforceable oppression over nearly 400 years by, by first buying and selling them as property, separating them from their families, then and, and massively abusing them, then quote unquote freeing them only to create laws to oppress them further. And when the law failed to keep them down, protecting murdering terrorists who would lynch somebody on Saturday and then teach Sunday school on Sunday and the church protected it and then only in the last generation did we finally stop legally enforcing this kind of oppression which of course didn't stop it completely and then at the slightest mention of the generational problems that this has caused that may be doing this over 400 years maybe that would lead to some issues that we have today just mentioning that hey do you notice that a that a disproportionate number of men in this group ends up in prison or killed and suffering in, in poverty for families it just at the slightest mention of that being met with defensiveness and indignation and deflection and justification you think there might be some backlash hmm. you think maybe Maybe there might be just a little bit of, of, of reaction to that, a little bit of frustration that might flow over a little bit. And so when I hear people say, well, I don't agree with riots, therefore I don't think there's a racial injustice problem. Come on. Like, come on. You, you can't, we can't as Christians do that. We have to say, okay, we'll deal with this thing over here later, but, but we need to, what in the world is gone on that then creates this environment, that creates this kind of culture, that in no way makes sense to look at that and say, oh, well, that dude threw a garbage can through that window. Huh, well, obviously, slavery and Jim Crow and the KKK had no effect on today. Sorry, I know it's a little, <laughs> getting a little ranty, but I just, it's, but I want us to, it should matter to us, right? Like, and we should be able to say, we should be able to say that, okay, let's have a conversation about this and know that this is a problem and not say, well, because a football player kneeled during the national anthem, therefore I conclude there's no racial injustice. What? I think that's just difficult for us 
because it's difficult for us on a on a one-on-one even internally even personally it's difficult for us so certainly corporately and on a national level to be able to make that distinction between your unhealthy response to this thing does not mean you don't have a right to be upset about that thing right right we do that with one another even within the church in in relationships we we we're so quick to say I, I don't have to listen to you. I can dismiss you because you didn't handle that in the way that right. was best or that I would prefer. And so if I'm doing that in my own sanctification, right, if you come and you challenge me about something, you say, Robbie, the way that you handle that, uh, you know, with with Christoph throwing your lunch away, you came across as a real jerk. And I go, well, I think it's wrong to call people jerks. So I refuse to listen to your correction of the unchristlike way that I responded in that situation like that's I if I struggle with that on a personal level with relationships that are close to me it's certainly going to be easy for me to do that on a national level when I'm very detached from the vast majority of the 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 suffering and the effects of all of this right so that's why we need to be on guard both on on a national level and on an individual level of saying we, we have to listen. We, again, coming back to the first point, like, what is this, how does this uh, align with what Jesus has said, what the New Testament teaches us about what it means to be an image bearer of God and what it means to be an ambassador for Christ in and a part of his kingdom in this creation? And are we working uh, for or against the, the anti-creation elements that are in culture around us? Are, are we standing out as a light of of the welcoming mercy of our God as demonstrated through Jesus, or am I defaulting to that defensive position and just like everybody else is? And 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 ultimately I end up doing the same thing, right? I'm excusing my disobedience to Jesus. Um, right. my my unhealthy response to that, my unbiblical response to that, um, I, I also end up dismissing. Right. And that really goes, uh, thank you for bringing the calm voice into that so people can hear that. Um, that goes to the last thing that I think is important is just to say the way we go about all of this matters. And it matters Amen. even more than than most of the things that were even, it, it matters as much or more sometimes than the things we're pursuing. So that's where you go to these priorities of things. It, it matters how we go about these things because it, it, with, with the character and nature of Christ. And so when we say um, that we think something's not an issue and we are dismissive of people's pain, that is not something that is of Christ. No. And so that dismissiveness there and defensiveness and indignation, we never see that in Christ. And if anybody ever in the history of the world could have been dismissive or indignant, it would be Jesus who knows how all of these things actually fit together and knows how small some of these things actually are. If anybody was going to be dismissive, it's him, but he's not ever. So I think, I mean, what do you... Do you have helpful things, Robbie? Because I feel like right now I'm, I'm, I gotta, I gotta you got yourself re- all worked up. I got myself all worked up into a dander, to a tizzy. <laughs> um, 
but I, I just have such I have such hope for the church. Yeah. I know that every era the church has had the opportunity to be light and salt in the midst of darkness. And it's it's every era. In some eras the church has responded marvelously. In some eras it has been horrible. It's just the way that it is. And I just want this era. Like, I, I believe, I know what God can do through us. I just want us to pursue those things and, and in the way that, of Jesus. So, I mean, when you, when it, what pops into your mind, Robbie? Like, what are the characteristics? What should be the defining traits and how we, how we go about any of these things? And the first thing that popped into my head is we must be a people who are known for what we are for rather than what we are against. Mm. Mm -hmm. And our tendency is, is to always make sure everybody knows what we are against and what we disagree with, which does nothing but further alienate people, make the gospel uh, seem offensive in the wrong ways, right? Offensive because I am offensive, not offensive because you're uh, you, you don't like the idea of submission or God, you know, all the ways that we justify, you know, well, if they're offended, it's because of the gospel. No, they might be offended because I am a jerk and I'm doing it in such a Christless way that I am marring the image of the Jesus that I am trying to hold out in front of them. So rather than being a people who, who make people feel like God is utterly inaccessible to them, we are supposed to be ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal to the world through us. And what is his appeal? That he loves the sinner, that he came not for the righteous, but for the sinner. He came not for the healthy, but for the sick, that the cross is only for people who don't deserve it. It right. is only for the evil and those who are currently enslaved to Satan. And, and if that becomes not only what we say, but what we demonstrate, with a welcoming love, with a with a listening ear, a willingness to say, I don't I don't understand your pain, I don't understand the things that are making you so angry right now. But but I want and I and I won't ever probably fully understand. But I'm willing to stand with you. I'm willing to stand beside you, and listen to you, and and speak God's transformative mercy and justice and faithfulness and love into this situation, that that is the only way that we are going to be the, the culture transforming influence that we are supposed to be. When, when what we bring is all that God is for and all that we are in favor of, rather than constantly being the voice screaming about what we are against. I, I what that makes me think Robbie is what Jesus declares over and over and over again to a lost and hurting and broken world is he is for us. Yes. Come so, to me, he says. Yeah. You, so you say like be known for what we're for. Jesus consistently is demonstrating he is for us. How? Why? That is, that is a mystery. Right. And for them. Right. And for them, like, right, yeah, it's not our camp, like, just that he's for sinners. Just think about how crazy that is. And so so when this question of the Sabbath comes up, he's saying, this this man with the withered hand, this is who I'm for. This is more important, that, mm. that Sabbath, you know, he says also that 
man um, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It, that we that there's that prioritization again. That's the understanding of how these things fit together. But you know, I've I've pointed this out before, but the woman caught in adultery is just such a clear example of that. He declares who he is for. He's for that woman. He protects her more more important than clarifying his views on adultery or with the woman at the well, more important than clarifying his views on divorce and remarriage or in the situation of the, the, the man, you know, who needed to be healed or anybody on, on the Sabbath, more important, it's always the person that's in front of him. It, it, that's who he cares for and he prioritizes. Mm. And we see that through scripture. Like yeah. when you talk about like, don't, don't tell someone to just go and be well-fed and be warm. Actually give them bread, like actually meet their needs and, and be with them there. And so imagine if the church was able to say to people of all different views in any kind of situation you can imagine. And I love how you said that. Maybe I don't understand. I don't understand why you're upset or why you're angry or what the pain is, but, but I'm for you. Imagine what that would do hmm. to just be able to declare that for somebody like whatever's going on here, I'm for you because because our God is is for you. And I want to be able to say that. And we deal with these other issues. But but if you ever have an issue versus a person, Jesus never hesitates as to which one is elevated. Hmm. And I know, I even as I'm saying that, I know oh. that people could take that down. Like, well, then, you know, well, what about this situation? What about, does that mean you never speak truth? Does that, that's, that's, you know, if you want to take it there, you can, and you'll, you're going to anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter what I say, but, but we, we don't lead with issues. We lead with people. Does that make sense? I think it's, I think that's so important. And it, I mean, we could, we could, keep going on this for quite some yes, time, I imagine, because what, what immediately popped in my head is uh, is the disciples asking about the blind man right. and, and making it an issue, right? right. Is, is he blind because of his sin or is he blind because of his parents' sin, Jesus? It's a, it's a theological discussion for right. them. And Jesus' response is, he's right here in front of us. Like, how about instead I heal him of his blindness? Instead of trying to figure out, well, is it his fault? Is it their fault? Whose fault is it really? Jesus' response is, God did this for his glory. Whose fault is it? It's God's because he knew that he could turn these ashes into beauty and he could glorify himself through somebody actually seeing this person and caring for them and meeting their needs. You know, and and it plays out in the rest of the New Testament. We addressed this a couple weeks ago about Paul talking about meat. There's another time where issue was can we eat meat or not and paul's answer is love your brother yeah like it's yeah it it is for that person and so it is it is vital that we get that and so if we approach all these things so a good guiding principle is if you have an issue that makes you dismiss people then that is not that's not of christ it is not it is not of christ it is unequivocally not of christ and does that mean that everyone will agree with how we love people or what we think is is best for them or most helpful? No, it's that's not the point. We we 
those are secondary things though. The, the first thing is to love the person that's in front of you and to be for them as Christ is for them and to declare his glory and his goodness. So we've Amen gone on that. enough. That's probably, yeah, that's probably enough. And so if you have other questions about that, we just, we're trying, we, we want to be helpful. And uh, if you, you, you can always contact us and, and ask further questions. And if we think, um, if we think that it's, we, we could continue this conversation next week if we think there's um, if there's a lot of feedback about something or we think it would be helpful for everyone or we can just deal with it, you know, one on one with specific issues. Um, but but again, just remembering that we we want to prioritize the things that Jesus prioritizes. We want to um, we want to not get bamboozled by a culture that will try to link all solutions with issues like we we need to be able to look at issues for for what they are and care about those and not not get fooled into to dismissing them um and and then we need to go about all these things in in the way of christ which first and foremost means looking at people and and caring for the person in front of you loving your neighbor as yourself amen to that so thank you for hanging in there with us on this podcast um, we are appreciative of you listening. Hopefully it's been helpful and we will talk to you next time.